All right, good morning. I gotta say it again. A bunch of you weren't in here when we started. You filtered in during the first song. So glad you filtered in. But I hadn't said good morning yet. So I wanna say good morning again for those of you that I haven't had a chance to meet. My name is John, and uh, it has been an interesting week. I mentioned this during the, the music, but uh, we were in the series. We're looking at the book of Romans, studying our way through. And it's, it's funny because we're taking 30 weeks to do this. It's a long series for us, um, but I still feel like we're flying, okay? We still, there's a lot to cover in the book of Romans. Um, so it's really important, and, and, and I want to kind of say this again, and I've said it pretty much every week or trying to. Um, we just, we're going to do an entire chapter today. Okay, so we're going to do all of Romans chapter 10. You can go ahead and head there if you want to in your, in your Bible so you're ready when the time comes. Um, but we are flying through it, and there is just no way for me to cover everything in an entire chapter in, in one message and keep it to a reasonable length that won't drive our children's workers insane. Okay, By the way, that's the reason I try to keep the messages short, because they're planning on a certain amount of time, and as soon as we go over that amount of time, and they have unplanned time with all of these children, and I love you, and I love your kids, but they're nuts, okay? So we just don't want to, we don't want to stick, and I'm pointing here because we got some down under the stage, and we got some back there. All right, I don't, want to, I don't want to stick them with your kids for much longer than they need to. That's what I'm saying. So anyway, there's a lot to cover. Point is... Can't cover it all here in the message, which is why it's so important that you be reading this on your own during the week and doing your own study, and also that you're in a group that's discussing this so you can talk about some different elements of it and what it means for you in your life, because I really feel like we're going through it so fast. We, we really need that. And so I want to encourage you to be doing that. And, and if you haven't been doing it, start right now. Like maybe you would take and take chapter 10 and break it down into five sections. Just look in your Bible and kind of pick out five sections and do one a day on your own and then also have your discussion and group. Um, Jess and I went to our group. We're in a, a couples group this semester. She does the women's group on Tuesday night, and then we're in a couples group on Thursday night. Um, and we have actually haven't been in a group together in since before COVID. And so it was cool to be able to sit and discuss with, with her and with other couples about, um, or other people about um, the, what we had learned. And then I got to figure out whether I did all right at the message, you know, and then also got to think about this week too. So I was already thinking like by Thursday, we're doing a study about last week's message, but I'm already writing this week's message. So it's a little hard for me to, 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 you know, untangle that spaghetti. But anyway, um, so they got a little bit of a preview of the message this weekend. Um, but it's been really, really great. And so I want to encourage you to, to get into one of those groups, be a part of a group that's, that's discussing these things. It's really beneficial to you. Um, and so I want to encourage you to do that. Um, and so I want to pick up where we left off. And forgive me, um, <clears throat> I've got a little bit of like a, a cough thing going, so I may be clearing my throat and coughing, and I'll try not to do that into the microphone when that time comes. Um, <clears throat> but i got to tell you, so fr- uh, Friday morning, Jess, that's my wife, and Jairus, who's my middle son, um, and uh, they went on a school trip to Wilmington over the weekend, so I've been without Jess for the last two days, so you're lucky I'm here, honestly. I don't know if you're lucky, but I, it's a good thing that I'm, I'm here, and I, and I, but I've, I always crawl into the moment when she gets back home, which is at 12 today, and so of course I've got some sort of like sickness thing going on and, and wore myself thin, and the only thing I've thought about for the last two days is what's for dinner. That's it. I was like, I never have to think about that. And all of a sudden I do. So <clears throat> we ate out. 
every meal. Yeah, so I said, I said, man, it's a good thing that your mom's not gone more because I would need a second job. <laughs> I, can't, I can't afford this. But anyway, anyway, all right. So we're into Romans chapter 10. And for those of you that weren't with us, maybe this is your first week joining us. And, and, and that's awesome. And you'll be able to pick up where, where we're, I'll try not to leave you in the dust, okay? But it would be really good to go back and, and listen to or go through the other stuff that we've been talking about. Um, Paul is talking in Romans chapter 9, which was last week, about Israel. Because the, the big question was, okay, you're presenting this new thing, this gospel, that we're supposed to believe in Jesus Christ. And that he was the Messiah that the, the law talked about. He was the Messiah that everyone was looking for. And he died on the cross, and he rose again, and I could put my faith in him for salvation. And then he wants to give me, he gives me the spirit to lead me through life and walk through life. All right, so he's, he's laid all this out, but the natural question a lot of people had for him, him, Paul, having been at one point a Pharisee, so a, a Jew of the Jews, he was, he was top of the line, keeper of the law, knower of the law, and then even persecutor of Christians. Now he's flip-flopped and he's a Christian and he's believing in Jesus and saying, this is the Messiah and you need to trust in him too. And so the big question is, Paul, where do you stand on Israel? What's the deal with Israel? Has God rejected Israel? Are they gone? Are they done? Is the law over? And he probably would have been accused of being anti-Jewish. And so he needed to clear that up. And so that's what we started talking about last week. And it's going to continue into chapter 10 and then also chapter 11 coming up soon. And he has just said that Jesus was a stumbling stone or a stone of collision. Essentially, he says the nation as a whole... Not necessarily individuals, because there's a lot of individual Jews that accepted Jesus as their Savior. But as a nation, they have collided with Jesus. And God allowed that to happen. They collided with Jesus, and they did not accept him. And God allowed that to happen, because he wants the church to then be open to not just Jews, but also Gentiles. And so there's a bigger thing that he's doing. But the question is, okay, they collided with the stone. They rejected him. God allowed that to happen. Now Gentiles are allowed in the, in, in the church as well as Jews. So what does this mean for Israel as a nation? Are, are they done? Is God done with them? He's made promises to them that haven't been fully fulfilled yet. So has he just cut off those promises? These are all the questions that they're asking. And the question at the the heart level for Paul is, Paul, do you care about them? Like, does God care about them? What what is going to happen here? So he's going to be answering that question. And so while we're answering that question, I do want to to make it clear. He's talking about Israel. This, This whole section is about Israel. And I would guess that the majority of you are not Jewish. Some are, but a majority of you are not Jewish. And so we have to ask the question as we understand how God is dealing with Israel where is God's character and nature here and promises, and what does that then mean for us today? And we have to contextualize that properly. We can't just take what God does for Israel, copy and replace the church. It doesn't work like that. But what does this mean for us? And we'll see that as we go through. All right, so we're going to start um, beginning of the chapter, Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. That's what he wants to see happen. Now, what does he mean when he says his desire is for them to be saved? If you've been with us over the last 16 weeks, you know what he means when he says saved. 
But the problem here, and, this, and, and this, is, this is the beauty of working through a book like this and studying through it sequentially the way that we're, we're doing it, is that you get a feel for the author and why they wrote it and, and what kind of concepts they talk about, and then very importantly, how they use words. So he uses the word here, soterios, the word that we translate to saved. Now, this could create a problem for us if we don't understand how Paul writes. If you've been around for the last 16 weeks, you understand how Paul writes. We've been talking about this the whole time. But if not, there's, a, there's an issue here where the way Paul uses words then and in the book of Romans and the way we use words, English words, today is different. So... For us today, when we see the word saved, what we typically are talking about, we say that someone got saved. And that means that they believed or trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. That means, and that's a fine way to use the word for us, okay? There's nothing wrong with it. It's just how we use the word. So we say someone got saved, and we're talking about an issue called justification. We're saying that they trusted, they believed that Jesus died for them, and he rose again, And they're trusting him for salvation, and they're made right before God. That is saved in our terminology. But that is not how Paul uses the word saved. And again, if you've been around, you know this. We've talked about this. In the first four chapters of Romans, Paul is talking about this issue. that The theological term is justification. It's being made right before God. And Paul uses a different term for that, He's, and we translate it to justification. So what in the first four chapters, Paul's talking about being made right before God, and that happens in Jesus Christ. So Jesus died on the cross, paid for our sins, rose again on the third day, and if we put our faith in him and trust in him for salvation, with no work on our part, belief, if we believe in him for salvation, then we are justified before God. All right, that's the term Paul uses, justification. Then in chapter 5, 5 is a hinge chapter, in 5 through 8, he talks about having been justified by faith. Now God is leading us through a process of saving us. And that saving is a saving from the wrath of God against sin. So we're being saved from the penalty of sin here and now. So we would use words like, uh, sanctification or, or um, purification or spiritual maturity or growth or those kinds of things. But Paul, for that process, uses the word saved. Now, justification is required for salvation in Paul's terminology, but they're not the same thing. So when we get here and Paul says, really, to be saved is to be delivered. I think that's a, that's a good word, to be delivered from the penalty of sin here and now. All right. So when Paul says, my desire for Israel is that they would be saved, he's not just talking about justification, though that's required. He's talking about the bigger process, the bigger process of restoration for Israel. He, would li- he wants to see Israel restored to its former glory. He wants to see God fulfill his promises to Israel. It's this big picture thing. And unfortunately, if we, if we just pegged it down to just the justification because of the way we use the word saved, then we're going to get some things wrong in in what Paul says here. So we need to have that picture that what he's saying is, my heart for Israel is that they would be restored, that they would be delivered. Okay, that's his desire for them. All right, four, in verse two, for I bear them witness, talking about Israel, that they have a zeal for God. So I like this. He's like, by the way, these are the Jews that are persecuting and chasing him down and trying to kill him. He says, I'll give them this. They're passionate. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's big of you, Paul, okay? I'll give them this, they're passionate. 
All right, I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So they're passionate for the wrong thing. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness are seeking to establish their own righteousness and and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So a lot of use of the word righteousness and it could be confusing, but all he's saying is they're passionate, but the problem is they're misguided. They've looked at the law and then through the law have tried to establish their own righteousness, self-righteousness. They've tried to do it themselves and earn their spot with God. We talked about that a good bit last week. And they missed the, the end of the law or the purpose, not the end like the, the finish, but the end as in the purpose. The purpose of the law, which was Christ's righteousness. They were supposed to see in the law that they couldn't keep it and that they needed a Messiah. They needed a Savior And instead, they tried to do it themselves, and they're still doing that. And so they're passionate, just passionate for the wrong things. Instead of trusting the Messiah for righteousness, they're trusting in the law in themselves. It's almost as if they're on this this journey, and they're so wrapped up in driving the car. They're so wrapped up in driving the car that they weren't looking out on the windows, nor did they see when they got to the destination, and they blew right through town. Right? They were just focused on the dash. You know? it, they were so focused on the law and the method and the thing that they missed what they were supposed to be learning and doing and looking for along the way. That's what happened to them. All right, verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. Uh, this is one of Paul's favorite quotes, by the way. He also quotes it in Galatians chapter 3 when he's writing to the churches in that region. And I think it's interesting. The book of Romans is written to a collection of house churches, and the book of Galatians is written to the collection of churches in an area, really trying to establish consistency and unity of thought in those, in those churches. And he, he quotes this um, uh, from Moses. And the point of this quote is, if you're going to live by the law, then you have to keep the whole thing. So what's the problem with that? (laughs) The problem with that is that we can't, that nobody can. There actually was one person that did it. It was Jesus, which is why he was able to make himself the perfect sacrifice on the cross for us. But none of the rest of us can do it, not before him nor after him. Reminds me of a a really uh, amazing interaction Jesus had with a young man. This guy comes to Jesus, and he's brilliant and rich, and he's an expert in the Old Testament law. He comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I got to do to earn it? And Jesus looks back. He says, well, you're the expert. Right? You're, the, you're the boy wonder. You're the genius. What do you think? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he sums up the law that way. Same way Jesus summed up the law, by the way. So good job. A plus on that. You summed it up. And Jesus said, great, do that and you'll live, right? Subtext, do all of that always and you will live. And, and the young man looks back at me and says, that's great. I, I've been doing that since I was a kid, <laughs> you know? I, I've got this thing nailed, good. And Jesus says, oh, yep, but one thing, just one thing real quick. Go and sell everything that you have 
and give it to the poor. And then come follow me. Well, <laughs> I, but I just got that boat. You know, I haven't even taken it out yet. <laughs> I got, you know, the, like the package is in the mail. I got to sign for it. I got to be home between 8 and 8 tomorrow to sign for delivery, you know. Like he wouldn't do it. And so he walked away sad because he realized that he, he couldn't. He wouldn't. He couldn't. And, and Jesus' disciples are watching this whole interaction happen after this guy walks off. They hear it all. They see it all. He walks off. And Jesus, they look at Jesus and they said, hey, wait, wait, wait. Like, how, 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 could, you, how, does this, how could they be saved then? Like, if, if he can't do it, who could do it? And Jesus says, surely I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And so immediately they're doing physics. Like, they're, they're, like biology is running through their head. Like, how does a camel go through the eye of a needle exactly? Like, how would maybe he's going to have, something's going to have to come out of joint. Like, how, how, and I've heard this explained so many different ways through the years, and people try to find an explanation for it. I've heard this, this, this thing about um, that, that there was a gate in Jerusalem. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but they said there's a gate in Jerusalem called the Needle Gate, and it was the only gate open at night. So if you wanted to come in at night, you had to go through the Needle Gate, but the Needle Gate was short and kind of like thin. So you, if a rich man came and he had a camel and it was loaded down with lots of stuff as a rich man's you know, camel would be, he would show up to town, and in order to come into town, he would have to unpack his camel, and the camel would have to kind of like crawl through. So the only way is if you're willing to unpack your camel. I've, I've like heard that whole explanation. Uh, problem is we have no evidence of any gate called the needle gate in Jerusalem or whatever. It's like, it's a cute story, but there's just no evidence to support it. So, but, but I think this is the point. This is hyperbole. Jesus uses hyperbole all the time. It's one of his favorite techniques. How does a camel go through the eye of a needle? It doesn't. Jesus just picked the biggest animal they knew of <laughs> and the smallest hole they could think of, the eye of a needle. How does a camel go through an eye of a needle? Doesn't. But Jesus looks at them. They say, well, then how is this possible? And Jesus looks at them and he says, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The point that Jesus is making with that whole thing that he's trying to make is if you're trying to be right before God by keeping all of the rules or keeping the law for them or even for us today, keeping whatever set of rules you can come up with or find, if you think that that's going to make you right before God, it absolutely can't do it. But in God, all things are possible. And Jesus kept the law fully and offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross in our place. And if we put our faith in him for salvation, his death and his resurrection, then we can be justified before God. But the, the nation of Israel is looking at their law, and they're trying to get there through the law, trying to get there through their own righteousness, and it's not going to happen that way. He goes on, verse 6. Verse, but the righteousness of faith, as a, this is in opposition to the righteousness of the law, which he just talked about, right? The righteousness of faith speaks this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. What he means is if you have faith in Jesus, then you're not waiting for the Messiah to come, right? Like you know that he has come. You believe that he's come. Uh, or, verse 7, 
who will descend to the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. So there were those who said, well, just Jesus came, but he died and he wasn't resurrected. Well, he, this is faith in the resurrection. This is saying faith believes that not only Jesus came, but that he died and that he was also resurrected. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Saying, you, you, as a Jew, you're, you're waiting for the Messiah to come. And he's already here. Or you're waiting for him to rise. And he already has. And he was there all along. He was in your heart. He was in your mouth. Even as you spoke the law, even as you poured over, even as you learned it, even as you practiced it, he was there. And you should have seen him. And you should have recognized him. But if you did, but you didn't. So what do they need to do? Romans 10, 9 and 10. Two of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Again, saved, we know what that means, right? You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, when we read this, I hope you can see how important the words are right here, that we understand what he means when he uses this word salvation, when he uses the word righteousness. He says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, or cry, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Both of those things are required for salvation. Only one of them is required for justification, but both of them are required for salvation. And he's looking at Israel, and in case there's any confusion about that, he, verse 10 make, is where he makes it really clear. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, that's justification, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So he's looking at Israel, and he said, how is Israel going to be saved? How is Israel going to be restored? How is Israel going to realize the promises of God in the nation as a whole? They need to not only believe in him for justification, for righteousness, but they also need to confess him with their mouth for salvation, that they have to do both if they're going to be saved, if they're going to be restored, that the nation has to do both, if they're going to be delivered from their present condition. And so when you read, and I think this is really important, and Paul's going to begin talking about this, but if you study, if you study what's coming, what's going to happen, this eschatology or the end times, okay, if you study it, Israel has a lot to do with it. And God's covenant promises to Israel being fulfilled and their repentance as a nation and accepting Christ as a nation is a part of that whole process. And so if Israel is going to be saved, they got to do both of these things. Now, this is for them, but in a way it is also for us. All right, verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Now, that's a little bit awkward in English. What it means is whoever believes in him should not be ashamed of that, okay? Should not be ashamed. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is over the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
So he's saying this is not just for Israel, this is true for all of us, that you can put your faith in Jesus for, for justification, for righteousness, but if you want to be saved in this world and in this life, if you want to be delivered from the penalty of sin here and now and the wrath of God against sin here and now, then you must call on the name of the Lord. You must trust him. You must follow him. You must be public about it. You must be overt about it. That only when you are public and when you are overt and when you are passionately following Jesus will you experience the salvation that he has to offer you, the hope and the peace and the joy that he has to offer to you right now. So can someone put their faith in Jesus and be justified and then zip their mouth and go through life and sit under the penalty of sin in their life? Yes. They will still be a child of God. They will still be with him for all of eternity, but will miss out on the life that he's created for them. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out on even an ounce of the life that God has created for me because it's way better, way better. The joy and peace and purpose and hope that he has for us, being delivered, being saved, and that requires confession. That requires calling. That requires making him our Lord and saying, Jesus, you are now in the driver's seat. All right? And you ever seen those bumper scissors that say, Jesus is my co-pilot? Right? Wrong seat. Okay? But also, don't get in the passenger seat and then just let your car go. All right? It's, an anal- it's a bumper sticker. Okay? It's an analogy. Right? Saying, Jesus, you're in charge. You're, you are my king. You are my Lord. And I'm following you. And unless, you, unless I do that, unless you do that, We will continue to sit under the weight of sin and the penalty of sin in our life. And if we want to be delivered, then we have to call on his name. We were given life when we accept Jesus, and we experience life when we follow him. And and I think think one of the, the most important things to talk about here, when we think about us today, is the importance of baptism. This is what baptism is. This is baptism. Baptism is us going from an internal decision to trust Christ for righteousness and us saying, now I want my faith to be on full display for everyone. Jesus was the son of God, fully God, God in the flesh. And for 30 years of his life, 30 years, did nothing notable. We we know almost nothing about the early part. Up to 30 years old, we know almost nothing about Jesus' life. He wasn't out doing active public ministry until he was 30 years old. We only know the one story of when he was like 12 or 13 years old and he was in the the temple, okay? But otherwise, there's, there's nothing. And so when Jesus is about to begin his public ministry, which lasted roughly three years, when he's about to begin, by the way, has anybody ever accomplished more in three years than Jesus? I'm just saying, you look, <laughs> I, was, I was stunned by that. This, I just, I, that thought came over my mind. Like, who has ever done more in three years than Jesus did? But his ministry was, public ministry was about three years long. And how did he start his ministry? How did he put on display for everyone around who he was? He got baptized. That was his choice, his first step. To say, I have put, well, not my faith in myself. That wouldn't be it. That would be his first step to say publicly, I am God. I am the son of God. 
And in that moment when he was baptized, it's one of the few places and most significant places in Scripture we see the Trinity, all three persons of the Trinity in the same place at the same time. God looks down and says, this is my son, and the Spirit descends on him like a dove. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one place, one time. And that was the genesis, the beginning of three years that changed all of history. So why, why would God want us to be baptized? It is our public statement of our faith. And if we want to be delivered, if we want to be saved, if we want to be transformed, then it starts with confession. It starts with identifying ourselves with Jesus. And so if you've never been baptized before, don't do it because someone just told you to do it. Do it because you know it's the step of obedience that you need to take. Maybe there's ministry he wants you to do, and he's waiting for you to be baptized before you do that ministry. Maybe there's something he wants to change in your life or something he wants you to do in your life, and it's not going to happen until you choose to be baptized. It's important. And so I want you to think about that for you. And we'll baptize. I mean, if you want me to do it, I'll do it whenever you, whenever you want, but we have a group one coming up in like a couple of months if you wanted to do it with the church all in one place at one time. I would love to do baptisms here, but they don't like water on the stage. So uh, we don't do it here. Okay. He chose to be baptized. It's a public identification of the faith that's already there. All right. To believe in our heart and then confess with our mouth. And so Israel needs to do the same thing. If they want to be, they want the nation to be restored and want the nation, God, to fulfill all those promises to them. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So how can they confess? How can they call on his name if they haven't believed in him? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Now, Paul, of course, is talking about himself because that's what he's doing, right? He was sent and he is preaching the gospel, the good news to all people, Jew and Gentile, that they need to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then they need to put their trust in him as they follow him. But this is a challenge to everybody who's reading this letter, too. It's a challenge to the Jewish believers in in Rome that they need to preach, that they need to share, that they need to be open, that they need to be public, that they need to be unashamed of their faith. And then there's a cycle that happens here, right? This is a cyclical thing. So you believe in Jesus, and then you choose to follow him, right? So you, so what's the word? I want to use the same words he, he uses here. All right, I believe in him, and then I call on him, And then I, hang on, let me get this right. I got twisted up, all right? I believe in him. Okay, yeah, yeah, here we go. I believe in him, and then I choose to follow him, and then I'm sent, and so I preach. And when I preach, people hear, and then they believe in him, and then they follow him, right? And then they're sent, and then they preach, and then people hear, and then they believe, and then they follow him, and then they're sent, and then they preach. And this is the cycle. This is the chain that has been passed down over 2,000 years. And Israel has a responsibility. Jews have a responsibility to their own nation in this. 
And all of us have a responsibility to our own nation in this. And that every believer who who puts their trust in Jesus for justification and then calls on him as Lord has a responsibility, is sent to preach. You are sent to preach the good news so that others will hear and believe and call on the name of the Lord. You are sent to preach. Now that looks different for all of us. For some people, that's standing in front of a stadium and sharing the good news. And for other people, it's sitting at a lunch table and sharing the good news. But we are all sent to preach. And if we don't, how will they hear? And if they don't hear, how will they believe? And if they don't believe, how will they be delivered? We, we, pray, for, we pray for our nation. We pray for our community. We pray for our friends. And we pray for our families. But how are they going to be delivered if someone isn't preaching? And so if you're a believer in Jesus and you've called on him as your Lord, consider yourself sent to preach. Wherever you are, wherever he calls you, wherever he calls you, so that the good news can be shared. So that people can not only be made right before God, but that they can be delivered from the power of sin. And that's what we want, right? And we do a lot of things in our community. I don't know if you're anything like me. You contribute to organizations or you serve in organizations or you do lots of things to try and help people. But at the base of it, if they haven't trusted Christ, what have we done? It's part of the reason that we're committed with the Family Center for all of our ministry to be based in Scripture and based in the gospel. Because we can help someone get through their relational thing or through their whatever, the situation that's going on in their family. But if we haven't given them Christ, what have we done? Ultimately, it's the thing that matters. And it's the thing that will lead to their deliverance. That's the starting point. And what an honor to participate in this. Jesus said it was in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, nobody takes a light and hides it under a basket. You are the light of the world. So put it on a stand for all to see, to give light to everyone in the house. You are sent to preach. But, verse 16, they have not all obeyed the gospel. He's talking about Israel, of course. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? This is a pretty consistent message from the prophets, by the way. Are they even listening? (laughs) Who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, this is an interesting thing about this passage. Uh, Paul actually uses the same word three times in this passage, but it doesn't get translated that way into English. It's the word that we translate our report. So if you, if you actually take and, and, and translate it that way for each of these words, Lord, who has believed our report, so then faith comes by the report, and the report by the word of God. All right, it is up to us to bring the good news, the message, that comes from God and must be shared in order to be believed. The Jews need to be vocal about their faith and share it with other Jews. We need to be vocal about our faith and share it with our family, friends, and community as well to to bring good tidings of good things, (laughs) as Paul puts it. 
Now, they should have seen it coming. The, the Israel should have seen it coming. And, the, and he finishes the chapter. We're not going to read these, but we're gonna, he finishes the chapter with several quotes from prophecy. And in groups this week, you're going to talk about each one of those. So if you're in a group, you'll talk through that. If you're not in a group, make sure you look at those on your own and, and, and look at what they are and why he puts them there, why he includes them. But God is doing something specific with Israel. And he's doing something with us too, and that's to lead people to and share the good news with them. This is about life. Life is at stake. Our life, my life, the people that you love, the people that you go to school with, the people that you work with, the people that you sit next to at the restaurant, the person who serves you at the restaurant, the person who repairs your car, the person who uh, is at the hospital at the check-in desk, that every life is at stake. Not just eternity, but now. Life as a whole. And one of one of my, I guess one of my turnoffs with evangelists is that they often focus so much on the first. And it's kind of their job, right? Just try to get as many people to raise their hand as they possibly can. But then what about after? What about deliverance? That's where that's where the church really steps in, really comes into its own. That we want to lead people to faith in Jesus Christ. But then together what we're doing is we're experiencing life and learning how to follow him. Calling on him as our Lord together. That's what we do when we take communion together. Like we did last week. Did we do it last week? Yeah, we did it last week. When we take communion together, we are declaring him as our Lord together. And there's power that happens in that. Life that comes as a result. And so my first question is for you individually. Same question I'm asking myself. Are you living? Have you called on him as your Lord? And are you living in all that God has planned for you? Or are there still areas of your life where you reserved yourself? Where you're still walking on your own, where you've shut him out? Are you really living? And then my second question is, as you look around your life and you look around the people in your realm of influence, wherever that may be, what do you want for them? What do you want for them? And are you willing to preach to them? And I don't mean like, oh, you know, you know, you know what I mean, right? Okay. <laughs> I don't mean like sit down, I have a sermon for you. <laughs> I mean sharing the good news, preaching in a way that is totally normal and natural for you to share it, in a way that is completely consistent with your personality and your relationship with the person, to preach and to offer them life. And so I would encourage you as you're thinking about that, who that is, I want to encourage you to not only think about doing it, but I want you to think about how and when. I want you to pray this week that God would lead you and fully submit yourself to the Spirit that they would share in the goodness that you have experienced, that they would walk in the life that you're walking in. And so let's go to him right now. Let's go to our Father and ask him to lead us. We need his direction. We need his confidence. We need his peace. So let's go to him right now. Father, we love you. And this is a, this is a challenging thing for us. It, Oftentimes in our lives, we're just not, we haven't accustomed ourselves to speaking about the good news. And because of that, sometimes it feels awkward or abrupt or, or forced or whatever else when we bring it up.
And so, God, what I'm going to ask for, um, for myself, for everyone else here, is that you just absolutely release us from that, from that fear, uh, that insecurity. And that right now, you'd fill us, fill us with the joy of the Spirit, that the confidence that we're your child. And that our life is focused on the main thing and the most important thing, which is our relationship with you that will last forever. And that first and foremost, you would set us free and you would, you would continue in us this process of deliverance and that today we would, because we put our faith in Jesus for salvation, that you would teach us and show us today how to fully walk in the Spirit and in your life right now. God, if there's anybody with us who hasn't put their faith in Jesus to be made right before you, until today, I pray that you would lead them to make that decision today. And that they would trust Jesus for salvation. And then as you walk with us on this journey, we want to experience life. And so we know we need to give more and more of our life over to you. So help us show everybody in this room, myself included, what we need to continue to give over to you and trust you with in our life to make you the Lord of, the leader of. And then as we look at our life and the influence that you've already given to us or the influence that you want to give to us as we look toward ministry or missions that you want us to do or the mission that's right in front of us every day, I pray, God, that right now for every single person, you would be showing us where you want us to preach, where you want us to share, where you want us to offer life and offer hope. And for many, that's a that's a intimidating thing, but it doesn't need to be intimidating because we know that you're leading it, you're empowering it, you're guiding it, and if we're, if we're submitting ourselves to you and trusting you in it, you'll take care of everything. You'll give us the words that we need to say. You'll make sure that they're what you want the person to hear. You'll make sure that the time is right, that the moment is right. And that regardless of the person's response to that, that we can have confidence to know that we are faithful. Because we want to share the good news. We want to be good news people from the heart out. From our heart to our mind to our mouths. And so I ask God that you would lead us today. That you lead us the rest of this week continue to transform us and give us hope and peace to look at what you're doing in us, what you're doing through us. It is truly an honor to be used in that way. Help us to rest in your goodness and in your love and lead others to the same. All that happens because of this, God, I pray that people will come into your family as a result of what's happened here today. that we'll walk closer, walk more in life. All of this we offer to you because you are good and we love you. It's in your name we pray, amen.